Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Tristan Watkins. He is Chief Science Officer at Lucid Mood. We're going to talk a little bit about the work they're doing in the cannabis space, a lot of interesting stuff they're doing on formulations, research and development, looking at all the kind of components of the plant, everything it has to offer. We're going to talk about both the THC, CBD side, uh, kind of understanding what really goes in to creating the effects that people feel when consuming, taking cannabis. Obviously, there's a lot of applications of of the plant. And it's just interesting to get into kind of some of the science and really understanding of what actually delivers some of these effects and, and how it works and what controls we have and how can we create and design products to have particular outcomes. So with that, Tristan, welcome to the program. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited for this. Yeah. So I always love starting with kind of backgrounds and you know how people got into cannabis. So give us a little sense of your professional background, how cannabis kind of came into play, and then we'll kind of talk about lucid mood and what you're doing there. Sure, sure. So I come from academia, got my doctorate at Ben University with a obviously a, let's say overarching focus on neuroscience. But within that time, I studied everything from cannabis to MDMA, addiction science, 
And then I spent a huge chunk of time studying obesity and this sort of uh, associated neuroinflammation that comes with obesity. Very interesting stuff. We're actually starting to see that inflammation is kind of part of a variety of different conditions that people are dealing with right now. That's a whole nother podcast though, right? (laughs) Um, So during that time, you know, if it wasn't clear already, I really like studying new things. I like to kind of jump around. I'm never satisfied with just focusing on on a singular topic. So during that time, about a year and a half or two years before I moved out to Colorado, I got very interested in cannabis as a whole. You know, it had gone wrecked several years prior to that. And in that time, we heard all these anecdotal reports about how cannabis does this and that and this, and then conversely does all the exact opposite things for people. (laughs) Right. And it was just really all over the place. And it got me thinking like, okay, is THC itself some wonder molecule that, you know, basically defies biology as we know it? Or is there something more to cannabis that should be looked into? So in that time, I kind of started my my own personal dissertation on cannabis and started studying all these other compounds that are naturally expressed. So different cannabinoids, different terpenes, even to an extent, different flavonols. We can, you know, start defining those later, but really just started to understand how vastly unique cannabis actually can be from a, from one cultivar to another and what is really hiding behind all of these cultivars. Yeah. Interesting. I'm curious, you know, you mentioned a whole bunch of different, I guess I'll call them, you know, molecules, drugs out there, you know, MDMA, cannabis. How is cannabis different than some of the other things that are kind of packaged into this uh, kind of category of drugs or category of you know chemicals that have you know have neurological kind of impacts or neurological components to them how you know kind yeah. of frame of it in terms of you know how is it similar how is it different from some of these other things for sure uh, I will say this is the very first time I've been asked this question so uh, I, thank you this is yeah. exciting um who this is a tough one though I don't I don't want to overstep anything that I say and generalize too much. Mm-hmm. It does seem that cannabis right now has significantly lower sort of addictive properties than other, let's say, drugs of, I don't want to say drugs of abuse, but, yeah. you know, let, this this kind of class one, schedule one yeah. uh, drug that, we're, that, you know, the DEA is very, very against, of course. Mm-hmm. So, you know, from just a recreational stance, cannabis does seem to have fewer negative effects and a less, you know, kind of less addictive properties, which is really nice, especially when you're comparing it to things like nicotine, which is extremely addictive, yeah. and then alcohol, which of course has a very storied past in addiction as yeah. well. Yeah. And I should say that I should be using the word dependence this entire time and not addiction yeah, as okay. uh, the DSM-5 states. Yeah. But so one of the, so beyond that, some interesting aspects that cannabis really has is how uh, unique and varied it actually how varied it actually is as a plant so when you think of things like alcohol right at the end of the day there's sort of beer liquor wine and you can do some really cool things and the distillation or brewing processes during these things and create some pretty interesting finalized products Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day you're still kind of working with hops malt barley maybe water and some yeast and things like that and it's more of like a starting with base ingredients and creating something different by altering those base ingredients with cannabis though you kind of grow the flower Mm -hmm. and and expresses all uh, this huge variety of different compounds every and every time you grow it you get this different composition that's naturally expressed which is super interesting and what's really cool is i'd say you know let's say even 15 years ago everyone was really really focused on thc only and by extension we were kind of naturally selecting or selectively selecting for uh Mm -hmm. the higher thc producing plants Mm -hmm. but as it turns out as we started to learn 
not only does cannabis naturally express THC, but it express CBD as probably the most well-known addition, additional cannabinoid, mm-hmm. but a variety of other cannabinoids that all kind of act in different areas within your body. And then, of course, all these different terpenes, you know, the, the sort of aromatic compounds, which, which really give the plant its smell and flavor, but also can tightly, can strongly control how that's particular cultivar makes you feel right there's all these kind of unique aspects about cannabis that makes every different batch kind of unique in its own sense that you don't see as much in some of these other drugs right most of these other drugs especially if you start getting like things like cocaine methamphetamine things like that these are much more primarily single compound drugs cannabis is much more of this sort of uh collection of a variety of different compounds that all have their own contributing factors that really dictate how you feel after you consume it. Yeah, that's one of the things I've, I've learned to appreciate is that, uh, I mean, even with things like alcohol, well, yeah, there's, you know, it comes in lots of forms and there's lots of different, you know, kind of ways of producing it and sort of subtleties and, and um, you know, the, you know, wines and things like that. You'll have different bouquets. I mean, it, you're, you're basically dealing with the same underlying chemical, right? It's, there's really no variation of the, the intoxicating substance under it. Whereas, yeah, cannabis, it's just, you know, we have all these different molecules that seem to work in different ways. The other one that I find is interesting is as this becomes, or as we look at the plant from kind of a medical point of view, that because it is this kind of, you know, combination of these molecules, it's it's tough to do the research, it's tough to do the, you know, the approval, the clinical trial work, because you're not dealing with a single molecule that you can just kind of put into a, a very well-structured clinical trial and say, okay, well, this group got it, this group didn't. Well, you know, so much of it depends on the combination, the factorial combination of this stuff that will end up having the impact that you're looking at. Tell me a little bit about, from a science point of view, how you kind of have to approach cannabis differently or, or how you have to look at cannabis differently relative to some of these other, call them drugs, you know, in, in terms of uh, substances that we can evaluate. Absolutely. So I, I actually kind of see two different uh, ways where the complexity of, of cannabis actually makes it difficult on science. So of course you have the research aspect, but then there's also the that secondary aspect of how the research gets reported on yeah. and how that information is really disseminated to other people. So we'll get into that in just a second. But from a research standpoint, as you kind of hit on it, combinatory therapies are very challenging to research because everybody does want to you know, if you're a scientist, you want to rule out all other contributing variables to ensure that you are really testing the one experimental variable that you care about. So the just the mere concept of adding multiple variables together, yeah. or let's say combinatory therapies and researching that, it just starts adding this type of variability that a lot of scientists are very uncomfortable with. And it's really not the way that our FDA approving system and how pharmaceuticals really work over these last, you know, well, since they've been around, it's not the way that the research is has ever been done. So there aren't a lot of systems in place to really handle this type of thing. And you're really only just now starting to see it. I mean, one of the only examples I can think of off the top of my head that's been around for a while are, you know, from a from a prescription standpoint mm-hmm. is, you know, the combination of like Tylenol with different opiates. And then um, from over the counter, you have a uh, I think it's a migraine medicine. I can't remember the name of it right now, but it's basically Advil plus caffeine. Oh, like Excedrin. I think it's Excedrin. Excedrin. Thank you. So, you know, some very, very well understood compounds have been combined. But at the end of the day, most of these medications, whether they're prescription or over the counter, are in fact single molecule because, as you stated, it's much, much simpler to really start testing a single molecule. And actually, you see, uh, you know, there's there's countries like Israel that are, they basically are turning the their entire medical marijuana industry into a long-term 
sort of research project as well. So as you can scale your data and the number of data points that you have, you can actually start allowing for additional variability in the product that you're studying or the compounds that you're studying. Because, you know, as data grows, you can get more statistical power and start controlling for some of these sort of variables that you otherwise wouldn't be able to with smaller data sets. So what Israel is doing is very much that whole plant medicine, and they're collecting all this data. And the goal is over these next, you know, probably decade Mm -hmm. is to continually research these massive data sets and maybe start to pinpoint some of these unexpected outcomes where one specific compound was found in all of these cultivars that helped with this particular condition. And then what you found is once that compound was removed, it stopped being as effective, then they can kind of retroactively start keying in on specific compounds of interest. That's interesting. Yeah. Because the normal, the sort of the, I mean, I guess the the traditional or the U.S.-based clinical trial process, the idea is you you target your individual molecule and then you design an experiment which says, okay, we're going to give, you know, this group uh, the molecule, this group not the molecule, you know, in a a double-blind control, you know, setup so that you can say, okay, yes, there was a correlation, a high high degree of correlation between, you know, a certain result and having the the molecule and not having the molecule. But, But that's tough to do when you're doing all when you're dealing with multiple molecules so instead of having kind of a highly controlled experiment you just have lots and lots of data over a period of time that you can then pull you can do this sort of regression analysis on to say hey look there's there is really good correlation between these outcomes and this molecule and not having these outcomes and not having the molecule so that we can actually kind of do it on a more big data way exactly and you see this type of uh this type of methodology used in drug discovery today right now you don't use it in humans but you have these major assets, these huge assays, and essentially some compounds seem like they might be useful fits, and then you take those and actually apply them through your more rigorous, um, you know, translational type studies. Yeah. So fascinating. It's an interesting aspect of kind of the underlying kind of challenge of the cannabis industry that I think you know once you get into it and you start to look at you know why don't we have some of this data or what's the challenge of of being able to kind of develop these products? It really goes to this underlying problem. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I, just to hit on the the other issue is how it gets reported on. The majority of people that still view cannabis as cannabis, like it, it has a compound that gets you high, whether or not they identify that as THC doesn't really matter in this situation. They view cannabis in the same way that they view alcohol, right? There's this plant and one of the molecules gets you high. So that's all there is to it. And a lot of times when you get reporting on research that has come out, either the researcher didn't was looking at it as a full plant or they were looking at it as an individual molecule, but then the reporter doesn't understand that that level of nuance was applied. And then it gets reported as, hey, cannabis is a wonderful for, for <laughs> yeah. this, right? Yeah. Or or like even worse is you get a study that like actually did a great job of tightly controlling their variables and didn't great, get great data. And then the, the news report is cannabis is now worthless, right? Yeah, exactly. Like everything gets taken to an extreme. So the general public has a hard time really believing anything or understanding is cannabis a miracle drug is it just a lie so people can get high or more realistically is it probably somewhere in the middle right yeah yeah interesting and so let's talk about lucid uh in terms of how you're taking kind of the science and applying it to kind of the product development side or you know in terms of applying it to the business side How, how do we go about you know, getting beyond just the, you know, I'm going to buy flour to smoke and get high. Like, how do we actually go into more of this targeted kind of effect, a targeted kind of outcomes? You know, obviously the cannabis population or the people using cannabis is growing. That What they want is quite different. Their lifestyles are quite different. The kind of context that they're operating is quite different. How do we start developing uh, more nuanced and more, you know, specific products for some of these segments? 
For sure. Uh, so incrementally, first of all, there is not this massive, there's not this wealth of data to really be drawing from. So there's a lot of just pure basic research that needs to be done uh, mm-hmm. to really create this foundation of knowledge when it comes to cannabis. And you know, when you put it in the context of business, you also need to continue to look at where the market actually is. I've seen a number of basically biotech companies disguised as cannabis companies produce really, really novel, interesting products that their general audience or general market does not care about at all or know how to use. You know, I've seen inhalers, really awesome sublinguals, nasal, all these different types of sort of delivery methodologies that got really, really precise in how they deliver it. And at the end of the day, you know, edibles, just any any old edible makes up like 40% of market and the rest is made up of just like a combination of flour and vaping. And no, and most people, most consumers aren't even thinking of that. So it's from a business standpoint, you need to kind of walk this threshold of being way too far ahead where nobody cares, but constantly trying to push yourself and be the leader in a category where people are actually paying any attention. Yeah. But yeah, so, you know, the way that kind of Lucid Mood has done it over these last four years, we just keep building and building. So when I first started, it was a lot about testing how, well, first it started with what peer review articles exist on mm-hmm. any of these compounds whatsoever, whether it's terpenes, again, terpenes being these aromatic compounds that some of which are in fact biologically active and can kind of create an effect. So the best way to describe it is, aromatherapy, which most people are familiar with to some extent. You think of lavender oil. Lavender oil is known for being very relaxing. While the primary active ingredient within lavender oil is a terpene called linalool. Mm -hmm. And linalool is found in cannabis as well as lavender and a variety of other botanicals as well. So through, through those multiple steps, you start recognizing that Okay, there is some existing research out there on how some of these terpenes work, whether it's at a cellular level or just a behavioral level. We have some knowledge, so let's start taking that existing information and start testing it and seeing if it applies to cannabis as well. So very, very first steps were just researching really simple formulas. Like what happens when you just take THC and then put linalool in it versus THC without linalool? Do people perceive a different effect with the addition of linalool, right? And then you can start building from there, right? So then it's, okay, well, how, what happens if I do THC and CBD and different ratios plus that linalool? Do we see changes when you start altering the cannabinoid content? And then you layer on top of that. Okay, so I know linalool does this. Here's three other terpenes that I'm pretty familiar with. What happens when I start layering them together? Do they act as as expected or do you get unexpected results? And it's really just a lot of trial and error iterative research where it's that prime example of getting null results or getting not negative, but just there's nothing significant about these results is just as helpful as getting, you know, your perfect intended result at this point. Because you have to recognize like, okay, ah, it turns out that this compound, it doesn't really do anything from our effect, but people really like how it tastes. So we'll put this in that into this category where we'll bring this up later on maybe altering flavor. So I wish I could say there's some tried and true rigorous methodology that you would expect out of like the pharma world. But at this stage, there's really not. You have to be adaptive. You have to recognize there's going to be a lot of failures and you really have to scale your projects in a way where you're 
simultaneously doing useful basic research, but also trying to create something that you can productize because most companies don't have 18 months of research runway before they make yeah. any money. Yeah, so. exactly. Exactly. And let's kind of go through the uh, kind of the ingredients list here because we've, we've mentioned a couple of different things, but let's categorize them. So we've got kind of the, the THC and CBD, and, and then we've got these terpenes and then the other chemicals. What are the kind of the pieces of the cannabis plant or the sort of the molecules or categories of molecules that, that you're looking at or that we have to kind of look at these combinations or that we kind of kind of use in these recipes to create these different products. Give us a quick kind of overview of the categories of things that come out of the cannabis plant. Sure. So off the top of my head, I can think of four major, well, I mean, there's a, there's a number of major categories of compounds that are found on the cannabis plant. But the four that people are really looking at it from a more biologically active standpoint, you have the cannabinoids and we'll, I'll, come, I'll come back and list the different molecules within these categories. Sure. Yeah. So you have the cannabinoids, the terpenes, flavanols, and flavanols are very similar to terpenes, but they, by name, impart, they're much more likely to impart flavor. But in fact, some of them are biologically active as well. Okay. Um, and then esters as well. And esters also are very much flavor-driven. A nice example is uh, the liquor Jack Daniels. They have a proprietary ester that they use that is sort of the seed compound that they use during their distillation process. And because they are the only ones that are allowed to use this ester, it's why Jack Daniels always tastes like Jack Daniels and nothing oh, else. If you Here's a fun little thing to mess with your brain. Next time you have Jack Daniels, it tastes like bananas. Remember that. <laughs> Next time you taste it, I promise you, you you'll, you'll never, never get this yeah, out exactly. of your head. Exactly. So I'm so sorry for anyone who who if this is thrown, <laughs> put a hole in their in their drinking world. But it tastes like bananas. I love it, and that's just because of the compound. That's because of the ester that yeah. they use has this banana hexane. What is it? Some kind of benzene kind of thing or something? What's the underlying compound? Exactly. I, I from a from, from a chemical standpoint, esters are not my thing. Yeah. Uh, this is actually taught to me by a jack rep when we were talking about you know flavanols in general yeah. i just found it as a fun little thing it's obviously helpful to ground a, an example or you know a technical yeah. concept with an example so those are those four major ones of course yeah. there's like fats and lipids there's natural plant compounds yeah, okay. uh, you know there's fibers and things like that but you know from a biologically active standpoint and where research is really diving into is kind of those first four categories and in reality it's only the first two it's the cannabinoids and terpenes that everyone's currently looking at. That's because yeah. that's where the most research is. And they are the most easy, easily easily purified and isolated compounds of those as well right now. Yeah. So yeah. cannabinoids, you hit THC, CBD. I think most people are well, well aware of these two cannabinoids. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, though, there's CBG, which is cannabigerol. That cannabinoid seems to have a major impact on things like wakefulness, sleep, and mood. You have THCV, which right now is primarily anecdotal evidence, but there have been a couple studies looking at it as uh, within like metabolic syndrome. It seems to have some impact on metabolic syndrome. That being said, it's two, maybe three studies. Yeah. I wouldn't take a whole lot out of this. A lot of people are viewing it as this sort of anti-hunger cannabinoid, and that is not something that I believe the science supports. Yeah. But, you know, CBN, I would be, be silly for me not to mention this one. We mm -hmm. won't go through all of them. But CBN is, is becoming very, very popular as a very drowsy cannabinoid. It's the one that's supposed to help with insomnia. Interesting. Like cannabis in general, it's pretty varied on the effects. So it works extremely well for some people and then has no effect on other people. Yeah. Um, so there's probably a little bit more to the story than CBN on its own, uh, yeah. kind of inducing lethargy or reducing insomnia. But there's definitely a lot of cool research going on with that. 
Interesting. And on the terpene side, you know, we've hit on like linalool. Another really easy example to give is limonene. That's mm-hmm. probably, uh, that's one of the most common terpenes you're going to find in cannabis as well. It's the most common terpene you'd find in like sativa. Sativa is being your uplifting sort of energetic cultivars. Mm-hmm. Um, and where you're going to find limonene is lemons, limes, and oranges. Yeah. So there's a reason why all of your cosmetics, if you have a refreshing or vitalizing shampoo, it's almost always citrus or mint. And if you have a relaxing bath bomb, it's almost always lavender or rose. Uh, Interesting. We had right. And like, I feel like people are thinking about their products right now, but, uh, you know, it's, it's very, very common to see these things. It's because there's been pretty well documented evidence, at least from a century's worth of aromatherapy, basically showing that these effects do exist. So I, you know, we, Right. So, yeah, so starting yeah. to break down and get much more technical from moving from aromatherapy and essential oils, which are a combination of all these terpenes. Now, what people are doing, specifically what we're doing at Lucid Mood, is looking at the active ingredients within these well-known essential oils. What are the ones that really matter? And let's get rid of all the other things that don't contribute or might even inhibit the yeah. effect we're looking for. Yeah, take away from the effect. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, and so you do this research, you kind of break down the molecules, these different categories, you do the research on the categories. How do you kind of reassemble these into products that are going to have you know, these intended effects. I mean, I guess both in terms of what are the effects that you want to intend? <laughs> like, how do you do the research to decide, like, what are the ones that are meaningful? What are the ones that actually have market, what they're a market for? Uh, and then how do you use the the kind of your understanding of the different compounds to put them together in a way that's going to have that uh, intended effect? For sure. Uh, so as far as deciding what effect to create, we actually have done two different things in sequential order. So we started by looking at, okay, what are these, recognizing that cannabis itself had has a very strong medicinal following. We sort of took that next step and thought, okay, if a lot of individuals are are turning away from their current medications and trying cannabis, can we create cannabis products that will do the best job at sort of replacing their current medication should they choose to actually take that step? So we wanted to create products for like pain relief, reducing anxiety, helping with sleep, and then I don't think cannabis is great for like depression generally, but you know, there are people that I have these sort of fluctuations Well, for a week they're down, right? Is there a cannabis product that might help with maybe the anhedonia, that sort of lack of enjoyment type thing that, that might last just for a few days? By no means am I saying we want to touch anything for major depressive disorder. Yeah. But that so, so we started with that. And, you know, to your point, what's the actual market? It turns out that although there is, of course, a very useful medicinal value to cannabis, the market does not gravitate towards that. There are individuals that do care about that, but overwhelmingly, cannabis is still a recreational product. Mm -hmm. Um, So we sort of shifted. We looked at the, so we had these great SKUs that were really, you know, one was really good at reducing anxiety. One was really good at increasing energy. One was really good at reducing pain, things like that. We learned all this and then we thought, Okay, let's look at the big data for our purposes. I think it was BDS Analytics. They, uh, it was BDS Analytics for New Frontier. I'm so <laughs> sorry for not remembering. We'll give them both credit. <laughs> exactly. But they released this interesting sort of uh, a few different 
studies. One was looking at these different categories of cannabis users. Mm-hmm. And then another was, of course, why are people using cannabis? What's their recreational intent for using cannabis? And we basically combined these two and created our five different target demographics when it came to sort of use case. Mm-hmm. One being, you know, reducing stress, but not getting too high, right? Just relaxation, but the goal is not just to get super high. Another one was sex or intimacy. Mm-hmm. We focus much more on the intimacy intimacy side, I don't personally believe in aphrodisiacs. I can go on and on about that. Um, And then you had your, you know, one for increased energy, one to help you sleep, and the one for that sort of like really bodily relaxation where you kind of more melt into the couch versus the just mental relaxation where you might be at work and you just want to take the edge off. And we found these to be the major use cases that aren't steeped in a medicinal standpoint. So then we created five products for that. So how we did that, uh, I think I, so the second half of what we created is a little bit less interesting than the first half of how we created these more medicinal values. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, creating those basic moods that, that really had very clear cut uh, effects Mm -hmm. allowed us to create the much more complicated and nuanced lineup that I just went over. Uh, You know, people just wanted to mount to the couch. So during the basic one, it was very much your standard research trial set up. So we'd always have a placebo control in this sense, because we're talking about cannabis and you can't trick somebody in a, you can't give somebody without THC and make them feel like they're high. Yeah. But what you can do is always use the same cannabinoid ratio as your sort of control Mm -hmm. and then only alter the terpenes on top of them. That way both groups have the same cannabinoids regardless. And then you really isolate the effects of just the terpenes being added on. And then you create, you know, you do a combination of behavioral intervention and questionnaires and then i guess self-report to really show that uh, an effect is taking place so i can very quickly go over how we kind of tested our 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 anti-anxiety one or our stress relieving one i could safely say anti-anxiety because it's no longer on the market so you know whatever we're not selling you anything (laughs) that's called anti-anxiety so i'll just say it now um go for it but you know the the idea was all right so First, you want a task that induces anxiety. Mm-hmm. That way you can measure someone's anxiety and get their self-reported measures of their anxiety as well, but kind of combine those two. But the task to induce anxiety, it's really fun. Uh, I could see people's anxiety levels go out the roof when I was just explaining it. <laughs> I would basically bring you in and sit you down in a room and say, okay, you're going to start from 1,004. And I want you to count backwards by sevens as fast as you can for the next 30 seconds. Oh, God. Out loud. And I'm going to like sit here and mark when you were right and when you were wrong. I give the person a target that there's no way they're going to hit and say that that target is also tied to their reward. Yeah. So by no means is anyone in any sort of danger at all. People <laughs> don't like doing math is really the crux of this. Um, yeah. So, and then, you know, and then people also don't like feeling like they're worse than, yeah, than the average. Yeah, exactly. So you, you tell them that on average, someone hits this target, which they're never going to get, which you're never going to hit. Yeah. And what's nice inherently in this task is that it is a cognitive task too. I mean, at the end of the day, you yeah. have to be able to do this arithmetic. Yeah. So those are your tasks for inducing anxiety. You, I just use a, a validated anxiety questionnaire called the state trait anxiety inventory and the idea is that it measures both your underlying baseline anxiety so like you know i generally run anxious at all times okay got and, it. and yeah. it will measure your state level anxiety so like okay now there's a saber-toothed tiger next to me i'm ultra anxious right yeah. and you can just run that before and after and then run the delta on how anxious 
they were at the t- before starting the task and how anxious they were after the task. Of course, you have them run it twice. So one time they have the the comp or sorry the the formula that has the anti-anxiety terpenes in it and the other one doesn't and you can compare the baseline to the to the experimental variable and then what's really nice is as i mentioned there's inherently a cognitive task i could also see if the adding the terpenes further impaired anyone's cognition mm, yeah. um, interesting fortunately it did not mm-hmm. um and then, of course, you just take their self-report as well. Self-report is significantly less useful when it comes to data like this. But at the end of the day, this is also a market study, not just a clinical research trial. So we want to hear, like, did you at least feel like it helps with anxiety? Like, Because at the end of the day, you know, I could have all the data in the world to say that it does something. But if every consumer says it did nothing, who cares what my data says? Yeah, exactly. That as well. Yeah. So, right. You know, this is a my really quick. You know, any researchers out there that see the holes in what I've done, I assure you, there's more technical aspect to this. But I'm happy to field any questions you might have on this. But I just wanted to kind of give like the the idea of how we would go about testing these sort of base effects here. Yeah, I love it. I want to do the. Uh, I want to take the anxiety exam. <laughs> I think it's great. And I had one mathematician come in and he smiled. I'm like, man, this isn't going to work. Yeah. Have you? <laughs> <laughs> He's rejected from the study. You know, no, no savants. No, no savants that uh, take this one. <laughs> so you've got these five categories. I mean, just give me a sense of you know, kind of your future kind of product development. Like, how are you envisioning either sort of generally or specifically, you know, things that you see in the future in terms of you know, new products, new insights, you know, new opportunities in terms of developing, you know, developing the future of of some of these products. For sure. Uh, so we see two different things. Um, so we'll get to the idea of actually releasing a uh, new formats, mm-hmm. I should say. But even before then, you know, we have these five, but what's really cool is we, we've always envisioned this idea of having sort of a seasonal yeah. mood as well. So, you know, uh, let's say quarterly, just like you see in the craft brew space. Uh-huh. So, you know, it's only released for a few months and then it disappears until next year. Yeah. So we've been actually back in developing some, some ones like that and really thinking of like, what's the product market fit. Um, right now, we're, we've been working on developing one that would be very much geared just to bud tenders. Obviously, anybody that wanted it would yeah. have it. But the idea, you know, give the bud of create something that's going to work really well for them. You know, in this case, it'd be an extremely stony high, mm-hmm. something that you know most your uh, sporadic consumer would yeah. probably not be interested in because of how powerful it'd be. Mm-hmm. So we're definitely looking into things like that. But on a much more technical standpoint, we're also looking into different delivery methods, primarily delivering uh, via sublingual or buccal absorption. Okay. And one of the main reasons we're doing this is, uh, so it turns out when you, you know, the edible experience feels very different from the smoking or the inhalation experience. And that's because when you consume THC, you consume it while it's Delta 9 THC, Mm -hmm. but then it goes through first pass metabolism. And at the stage, at the phase of the liver, it undergoes conversion via, it's called cytochrome P450. It's an enzyme that's in your liver and converts a number of different compounds that you take all the time or that many people take you know, regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it converts delta-9 THC into 11-hydroxy THC, so a very different compound. And that's why when you inhale something, it's like a 90-minute high at most versus when you eat something, it's three to six hours yeah. depending on, on how you react to it. So we wanted to actually kind of avoid that that very different feeling, that 11-hydroxy experience, which mm-hmm. is obviously very well-liked on the market. But we wanted to create something that was still vape-like. So it still hit really quickly, still 
felt like the Delta Nine and pre- and hopefully only lasted for about two hours rather than that four to six hour experience. Mm-hmm. And the best way to do that is to completely skip over first pass metabolism. So rather than ingesting it, you want to get it into the bloodstream as quickly as possible, not via gut. So yeah. sublingual and buccal delivery is a great way to do this. We've been working on ways to really you know break apart these compounds and without getting all to the details there's a number of steps that you need to sort of achieve in order to successfully deliver a cannabinoid through a sublingual buccal absorption Mm -hmm. Uh, and we believe that we've actually worked all these things out by no means are we the only ones that have done this Mm -hmm. but i see this as being the sort of next step for cannabis for the people that either want to alter their current edible experience where they want the onset to be faster or they want the duration to be less time or for the people that you know really want to stop smoking but yeah. want to really keep that sort of inhalation Immediate. experience yeah. exactly yeah yeah i um, can see that so we see that coming and you know we see a number of people that just don't they don't consume cannabis at all because they don't want to inhale and the yeah. edible experience is too powerful for them so yeah and that's fascinating and that's one of the you know interesting things about the market because it is it's not just the the effects and the you know the end result but it's you know how long it takes the onset uh, how long it lasts that the actual kind of social experience like how you know smoking versus ingesting versus drinking you know there's that there's so <laughs> many factors that go into this from a market point of view that's um it's really great sure. Yeah, and speaking on the market, it, it's interesting, you know, that what I just described, uh, the this sort of sublingual concept is only about 2.5% of the market in California. So it's not very popular. As I kind of alluded to earlier, you don't want to be too far ahead. And uh, the drink, the beverages are, are all, I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but also a fairly low market share for beverages yeah. right now. I still sort of foresee both of these formats becoming very popular over the years, but right now it's just taking some time. Yeah. You know, if you're Mark's just starting there, yeah. up in cannabis, you have to basically take like a week long course to understand <laughs> anything about it. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's one of the most confusing recreational drugs that I can think of. Yeah. Everything else is just like take it. Yeah, here, exactly. here, 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 here you go. Here's this yeah. is that's all there is to it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's interesting. Justin, this has been great. If people want to find out more about you, about Lucid Mood, what's the best way to get that information? Oh for sure. Uh, so our website is lucidmood.net. Our Instagram is at lucidmood. If you want to contact me directly, if you have any questions or anything, I my email is TW as in Tristan Watkins. So TW at lucidmood.net. Oh, and then I guess I have a fledgling Instagram that I've been told I'm supposed to plug on things like this. <laughs> it's uh, it's pot underscore PhD. So pot PhD. I love it. And then I hope that's that's all. I am not the the media expert, <laughs> uh, but I think I'll, I covered the bases. Yes. I will put I will put those in the show notes. And if you think of other ones, email them to me, and I'll put them in for the show sure. notes for people. But um, this has been a pleasure. I, I love kind of geeking out on the science out of this. Uh, and obviously, you're you're you know highly knowledgeable. You push all of my limits on this. So I I, I give you um, a hat tip to that, and I appreciate your time today. It's been a great conversation. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, this is really fun. I I love doing this. Yeah. I'm always happy to talk about cannabis. Anything cannabis. Let's be real. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.